3: Our world needs a U-turn. And I, I tried so hard to tell myself, don't be stupid. You know, it's impossible to fix the world. It's actually really straightforward. I'm asking only for two values to change. I'm asking for people to prioritize their happiness and invest in finding a happier life. And I'm asking for the compassion to make two other people happy. Two more.
2: Welcome to U-Turns, the podcast where we talk about all things change, our major life shifts and positive transformation.
4: I'm Lisa Oz. And I am Jill Herzig. And our conversation today uh, got me thinking about the things that make me happy, kind of the the simple things. Um, And you'll hear from our guests that just making a list of them is a very powerful thing to do. So I kind of started to do that. And... It was, it was really interesting, like things wound up on my list, like sitting on the floor with my morning coffee. Why I sit on the floor, I don't really know, <laughs> but that's how, I, that's how I do it, and that's what makes me happy. Drinking a glass of wine while I make dinner. What's, what's on your list? Weirdly, both of those involve consuming beverages. Mm-hmm. You, know, <laughs> you know me.
2: It's all about the caffeine and the cocktails. <laughs> um, I, first thing that comes to mind is herring, morning doves. I don't know why that makes me really happy, um, and going outside when it's cold at night and having a really clear, open sky. So those are two of my things. Yeah. But... Those are beautiful things. Well, thank you. Yours are beautiful too. Nothing <laughs> like a, a nice cocktail or a cup of coffee. <laughs> um, our guest today, though, is going to help us be happy all the time. Um, he's the former chief business officer for Google X, and he is the bestselling author of Solve for Happy, Engineering Your Path to Joy. Mo Gaudot is with us today. Thank you so much for joining us, Mo.
3: Thank you so much for having me. Uh, We've been trying to organize this for a while and uh, now it is happening. So our first question today is happiness. You define
2: it differently from other people and you have a formula for happiness which is crazy a formula um, it sounds like a math equation. can you spell out the the formula so we can be happy all the time? Uh, yeah
3: you're you're setting me up for a big target. I actually think we can be happy a lot more often and the, and it actually is that predictable there is a formula for happiness and unhappiness and you know in a in a very interesting way the way I developed that was simply like um you know a, a scientist in a lab I took as many data points of points in my life where I felt happy, uh, like you did on your happy list, uh, coffee on the floor in the morning, and, you know, tried to find as, you know, what is common across all of those. And what's common is very straightforward. Happiness happens not when certain events in our life happen, but when life seems to be going our way. Uh, it's, it's It's not the fact that you know, uh, coffee uh, in, in itself or sitting on, a fl- on the floor in itself would make us happy or unhappy. It would make some of us happy and some of us not. It would make the ones who want to sit on the floor and have coffee in the morning happy. When, it, when that happens, we feel happy. And so the equation is very straightforward. The equation is happiness is equal to or greater than the difference between the events of your life or at least your perception of the events of your life and your expectations of how life should behave. And so that comparison, it's not rain in itself doesn't make us happy or unhappy. Rain makes us happy when we want rain to water our plant, makes us unhappy when we want to suntan. And and so it's that comparison between them that makes us happy or unhappy. And once you see that, uh, happiness becomes a lot more predictable.
4: Okay, so I have to say call me dense that formula it took me a little while to wrap my head around it and I had to kind of run it through some hypotheticals can you can you do that for me like let's say I'm starting a new job okay and so my perception of that job is going to be a certain way depending on perhaps how negatively or positively I view the things that happened to me on my in my first month and my happiness level is Those perceptions minus whatever my expectations were, right? Have I got this right? So if my expectations were high, sky high, I'm going to be blissful every day. I'm going to have wonderful, meaningful things to do every every moment that I'm there. And I'm inclined to feel disappointed in what actually happens. Then I'm going to be very unhappy because there's going to be a huge delta. Uh,
3: Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. So so what what happens there is... Not only is it about how sometimes unrealistic our expectations are, but it's also about how we actually perceive the actual events. I mean, I can almost guarantee you that on your next job, your boss is going to be annoying, right? This is what bosses are all about, right? So, you know, they're supposed to be annoying. They become bosses because they're annoying. I mean, I, I, I hope I wasn't an annoying boss when I, when I ran big businesses, but the majority are. Now, if if your expectation is that life is going to somehow bless you with that, you know, 10% of bosses that are incredible, you're setting your expectation in the wrong place. If your expectation is, it's likely that my boss is going to be demanding and I need to learn the skills of how to deal with a demanding boss so that I can manage to achieve in my life, then perfect, you're, you're on the right track. There are, there are easier examples to understand the equation, though. So, you know, the one I like most is nature. So, so, you know, when we sit in nature and we're always happy in nature, almost everyone, I rarely ever, other than maybe people who are a little scared of, of, of being out in nature. So, so, you know, why does nature make us happy? It makes us happy because no one ever sat in front of a tree that was a, lit, a little crooked and said, no, nah, that's not how it's supposed to be. Trees are supposed to be 90 degrees vertical. You know, if, if you start to look at it this way, you feel unhappy. But we all are expecting nature to be a little unexpected, to be a little, you know, uh, out of shape. And that's the beauty of nature. No one ever sits in front of the ocean and goes like, I love the, the view, but can someone mute the, 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 the sound, right? <laughs> so, you, you, you know, when, when you think about it, those, those things match our expectations of how they should be, even if they're not perfect all the time. And that's why we feel happy when we deal with them.
2: The the only thing, though, is that from the way you're describing it, it sounds a little bit like, do you know the character Eeyore and Winnie the Pooh? who is always like oh it's a terrible day. So if if you're a pessimist and you expect oh work is going to be a drag today. Oh, you know, my boss is going to be rude to me. Oh, my husband's going to ignore me. If you set yourself up as thinking everything's going to be bad, then you won't be disappointed. So I that that's not going to make you happy.
3: Uh, so first of all, how many EORs do you know because there are quite a few in our modern world today. We're actually trained, trained to look for everything that's wrong. It's actually really, really shocking. But yes, there are two, two ways to look at this. One of them is, believe it or not, mathematically as per the equation, but in reality, if your expectations are low, you're actually bound to be happier. So, you know, you go to Africa or to India where people don't have as much abundance as, you know, we, we have the, the, the luxury of having in the West. Uh, you know, if, if you give someone a, a bowl of rice, they're happy. Right? They don't want to have uh, fries on the side. They don't want to have a, a drink. They don't want it to be hot all the time. They don't want the waiter to treat them incredibly well, and so on. Why? Because their expectations is that actually to eat today is a good thing. And so when you compare, you actually look at those places in the world, you know, Latin America, Africa, India, and they are some of the happiest people on earth, even though their life is a lot more difficult than ours, because their expectations of life. Are say a little modest than ours, and so as a result, they can find happiness that way. The other side of Eeyore, however, is not looking; is not is not expecting things to be uh, to be bad. It's looking for what's bad about everything. So that's actually looking on the events side of the equation, and you know, giving uh, you know, you you see people in in the big cities of the U.S. sitting in an air conditioned fancy car, stuck in traffic, and complaining right? They, they tend to look for the, for the thing that's wrong with this situation, which is I'm stuck in traffic. They forget everything that's right about this situ- the situation, which is I am in an air conditioned car. I can afford that car. I live in a big city. You know, I have had an education perhaps that got me there. All of those things are suddenly forgotten because they're looking for that one thing that is wrong with every situation, and of course, humans are capable. If you look for it, you're going to find it, and there is always something wrong with everything. Life is not perfect in any way, so you can actually achieve the amazing, Guinness, you know, uh, Guinness <laughs> Book of World Records record and be happy or and be unhappy all the time. Not because your life is wrong in any way, but because you choose to find what's wrong with your life, and you know, in every instance.
4: So, what you're talking about in terms of of that level of sort of appreciation and mm-hmm. measuring the good and the bad and seeing that clearly, it, it takes some pretty strong mental control. Uh, do you or do you do you feel like you um, consciously are guiding your thoughts?
3: Of course, you do. But toward that appreciation, of course, you do. But but you'll be surprised what it takes. It takes a really bad toothache, okay? So yesterday, uh, you know, I, I did implants like 10, 10 days ago, and yesterday I woke up with excruciating toothache. Like it was oh, so sorry. painful. No, don't be sorry. It's a, You know, it happens to all of us. Life is sometimes full of things we don't like, right? And, and you know what? The moment where the dentist did something and it got adjusted and the pain got, went away, that one moment, you have life and everything in it. Like in that one moment, you realize that just one drop of pain in your life, your life wouldn't be as amazing as you, you know, as you, as you want it to be. But, but you may, my, your life might not be as amazing as you want it to be. But just taking away that pain, and you realize, oh my God, I'm the most fortunate person on earth. That peace of having no pain. You know, it's, it, it, in, in Solve for Happy, I talk about something that I call looking down. Unfortunately, the way we were raised in our Western societies to be ambitious made us constantly compare upwards. You will always look at the person that has a little more than you, that is slightly thinner than you, that made a little more money than you, that is, you know, uh, um, uh, whatever, that has a a taller, uh, uh, you know, partner, a a shorter partner, whatever it is. You'll always look up and compare. If we look down, trust me, if you have a device on which you can listen to this podcast, you're one of the luckiest 1% of the world. Honestly, you know, um, the reality is, we have so much. And even, even though there will always be harshness in life, we're probably not the, the, the ones being the harshest treated in life.
2: When we come back, we're going to dig deeper into happiness with Mo Gauda.
1: This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global.
5: If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.
2: Before the break, we were talking about happiness with Mo dot. And Mo, this podcast is really about personal transformation and, and U-turns and how life, either through our own choice or through circumstances beyond our control, sometimes changes our course. Um, I want to dip in a little bit into your personal story um, and h- both on how you came up with this formula for happiness and how your life events have put it to the test.
3: Yeah, uh, yeah. Life, life is all all U turns. Some uh, are a little sharper than others. I think. Um, I I I was always reasonably successful. I mean, let's not say always. I was born in Egypt. I was raised in Egypt, uh, educated in public schools in Egypt, and then somehow uh, life blessed me with fortune beyond compare. I had everything anyone would ever wish for. I was a director at age 29, I was printing money in the stock market. It was really unbelievably unexpected for me, and I was miserable. Uh, so so from the time when I was, um, you know, young and growing up in Egypt and didn't have much, I mean, I had, uh, had wonderful parents, I had wonderful parents, but wasn't really rich or successful in any way, and, and I was the happiest person you can ever find, to age 29, I'm you know everything that everyone strives to be, and completely depressed. And I had to take—I think what was probably the most important U-turn in my life. Uh, you know, um, I, um, my daughter Aya at the time, who is the sunshine itself. Like she is full of energy, fun, love, and you know, she's amazing. And she always wanted the family to be happy. And I was the grumpy executive, who was always wanting everything to happen in a, you know the way I want and and somehow i could see for the first time in ayas' eyes how my grumpiness was really really affecting her and i remember vividly the day where i looked at myself in the mirror and i know it's the wrong thing to say but at the time i said i hate you i don't want that person in our life anymore and i want you to do something about it okay and and it took me a long time it took me 12 years of research the first 4 years of research about happiness i couldn't And I I couldn't get it. I couldn't understand a single word because the way the literature about happiness is written is either spiritual or, you know, in terms of, you know, put in practice, like say OM or meditate or, and I couldn't get any of that. And so I had to research it my way, which was an engineering approach, a highly, uh, um, you know, systemic, highly uh, um, um, logical approach to a topic that's normally not viewed that way. Uh, I was supported in that quest by my wonderful son, Ali, uh, who instinctively, I I think he understood happiness at heart. He, he, you know, he was always happy. And uh, I would go to him and tell him what I found out in my research. And he would look at me, uh, you know, like kindly, as he always did, asks me a couple of questions just to entertain me, honestly. And then uh, and then, you know, when I answered, he would say, I'm so proud of you, Papa. You, you figured it out. That's amazing. This is how we, you know, people with hearts understand it. Don't, don't get me wrong. I have a, a big heart. Actually, I'm mid, <laughs> mid, mid, midway between EQ and IQ. But the mo- but
4: he knew how to tease you.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did. No, but the, also people with people uh, who have to be successful in the modern world, we rely a lot more on our IQ. We, we become more left-brained by training. And so between us, we developed that model and the model worked. Uh, you know, I could find happiness a lot more often. And, uh, and as a result, um, you know, somehow I think life was preparing me for what must have been, uh, I think, the biggest U-turn I, of anyone I know. Uh, you know, when uh, July 2014, Ali, uh, unfortunately, was diagnosed with a, a very simple surgical operation. He, he was, you know, prescribed an appendectomy. And five things went wrong in a row. Uh, So the the doctors simply um, made five mistakes that were all preventable. They were all uh, correctable. And somehow they just, you know, all five of them after each other ended up taking Ali's life.
4: And how old was he when he died?
3: Ali was a a beautiful, handsome, smart, successful 21 and a half years old. Like truly the pride of, of any parent. He, he had that incredible hug. You know, I, I hugged him uh, right before he went into the, the operating room. And I, I can tell you that point truly was the high point of my life. It's, you know, I, I looked at him and I said, that's it. Like life is worth living. Uh, Ali was also my best friend. So, so he, you know, if you, if you, and he was my coach, I think, I said that many times. He, he had that wisdom to him uh, that was very, very unusual. At age 16, I used to say, when I grow older, I want to become like Ali. <laughs> yeah. And I'm trying still, <laughs> believe it or not, I still am trying to become like Ali. I think, I think what happened was a shock to any parent, to any family. It probably is the hardest thing you ever have to do. Even even today, as you can see, five almost five years later, I I I simply feel a physical part of my heart missing. It it, it there is a physical pain associated with with talking about Alien. All of you guys want to talk about him all the time. I'm
4: sorry, and I can imagine. I mean, I think I, I Lisa imagine. and I have, have huge lumps in our throat just listening to
3: you. I'll, I'll tell you, despite the pain, I've come to realize that there is an inspiration that comes with the story that I think the world needs to understand. And, and in, you know, what happened, of course, afterwards, many people know is that 17 days after Ali's death, uh, after 17 days of applying the model and actually finding total peace, we were so peaceful that people would come to his memorial crying. We would be the ones comforting them. We would be the ones hugging them and explaining them, uh, you know, what we understand about death and life and about happiness. And you could see visit, physically see them smiling and laughing and hugging each other. And it was an incredible, um, you know, memorial of, of an incredible young man. And Uh, After that, 17 days later, I started to write and I wrote a book that became an international bestseller in 31 languages. But the book wasn't the topic at all. The book to me was an attempt to fulfill what I, for some reason, considered was the target that Ali gave me before he died. So four days after he died, Aya came to me and said, Ali had a dream two weeks ago and he only told me about it. And his dream was, I, I dreamt I was everywhere and part of everyone. And, and, you know, so he, he, basically told her, and, and then when I woke up, I, I felt this, it was so wonderful that I didn't want to be part of this physical form anymore. And, and in my, in my, um, in my executive approach to life, I took this as a quote. I took it as a target. I said, if I can share with the world what Ali has taught me about happiness, then uh, perhaps I can, uh, I can make him through six degrees of separation part of everyone. And so I set out to write what I learned, of course also in concern that I would forget it and, and return to unhappiness. And, um, and somehow um, it worked. You, you know, like the alchemist says, when you, when you know your life's purpose, the, the universe conspires to make it happen. And so the universe conspired. We, we set an initial target of 10 million happy. Uh, we got that in eight weeks. Uh, these are people that got the message and took action.
4: And how, how do you measure that?
3: I measure... Uh, so the message I try to send to people is very straightforward, that happiness is your birthright. It's not as complicated as people make it look. And if you work on it, if you work at it like fitness, you will achieve it, okay? And my attempt of that message is to tell people... So work at it. So I, I ask for one of two actions. Either invest in your own happiness, which basically means go out there, watch a video, read a book, uh, watch a documentary, sit with people that make you happier or teach you about happiness. Or, or, or if you're already happy, then help us make others happy by sharing the message, by paying it forward. And I, what I ask people to do is a, a very simple um, you know, I call it uh, an inverted or a positive Ponzi scheme, uh, which basically is, you know, if, if every one of us, if every one of us learns something about happiness and teaches two people who will teach two people through the exponential doubling function within five years, we will be a billion happy people. And 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 a billion happy is the target we set to ourselves. And, and we're working at it as a small team, uh, perhaps to tell you that Losing Ali was the biggest uh, was the biggest U-turn in my life. Uh, you know, I, I left Google uh, a year um, after the book came out, and I'm um, basically dedicated everything I own and all the time I have to do this uh, for the simple reason that it's surprisingly working. Ninety-six ni- percent, ninety to ninety-six, depending on the format in which they deli- they they receive the method, uh, will say it absolutely changed my life. N- not because. I've invented something like incredibly different, but because I'm a left-brainer talking to the modern world human who understand logic uh, before they understand emotion. So I start from our logic to get to our hearts.
2: When we come back, we're going to dig deeper into happiness and logic.
1: This is it, your moment.
0: Visit LiveNation.com slash concertweek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Some 41 30 Seconds to Mars, O oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.
5: Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end.
2: And the greatest challenge I can see to happiness, which is the loss of a child. Um, Mo, you're a scientist. You're an engineer. You were you worked at Google X for, for most of your career. You have a scientist brain, and yet you have a very profoundly spiritual approach in your quest for one billion happy. And I think in the way that you. Have um, transformed your personal deep suffering into something positive for the world. How do you reconcile that science brain and the spiritual brain that that most people think are mutually incompatible?
3: Uh, they're one and the same. They really are. It's uh, the scientific method has hijacked us. Uh, it's it's as simple as that. The scientific method. Told us that uh, unless we can observe it, uh, we we cannot measure it, and unless and unless we can measure it, it's not science. But how how many things could we not observe 50 years ago that we can observe today? And and what constitutes the the uh, you know the instrument with which we observe? You know, does our heart uh, you know include is is it included in those instruments? Uh, you know, can we observe love or can we actually feel it? And I think everyone, including the scientists that will tell us that spirituality doesn't exist and doesn't make sense, also feel love. So how can they explain that? Uh, in, my, in my approach, I, um, I'm, I'm reasonably spiritual. I would say uh, reasonably religious as well. Uh, not to a single religion, but to every beautiful core I found in every religion everywhere in the world. Uh, but I am also a scientist, and I, I try to look at uh, those topics from a scientific point of view, and you'll be amazed, you know, how uh, science proves uh, to a great extent what we understand in spirituality. You know, in, in, when we talk about mindfulness and presence and being in the here and now, you can explain this from a spiritual point of view, or, can, or you can simply just dive deep into the theory of relativity, space-time continuum, and understand from Einstein how time slices make it real that the only time you will ever have access to across the arrow of time is the slice of now. Right? And and it doesn't, you know, it's it's not it's not unscientific uh, to, to, to understand, for example, that um, you know spirituality will tell you that you should probably not try to over control your life, but also chaos theory tells you that and and, and entropy tells you exactly the same. It's it's been funny how um, we've sort of created two camps, the camp of scientists that don't want to listen to spiritual people and the camp of spirituality that doesn't want to even, you know, sometimes acknowledge the, the findings of science, while they're exactly one and the same. I I try to apply a very solid, so actually in Solve for Happy, I'm one of my, you know, sort of instructions to my editors was very straightforward. If it's not proven by science, we're not going to talk about it. Okay, and uh, you know nothing out there will be uh, will be explained in a way where people say science contradicts that, and we have three hundred and sixty-five pages of happiness that uh, that are within that framework.
4: All right. So I know it's a it's a huge question to ask because that was there are packed three hundred and sixty-five pages, but can you just lay out for us the the most important principles that you're
3: asking people to consider and solve for happy? It's actually very simple. Happiness is not as complicated as we make it. uh, You know, and, and I think that's, if people understand that, they'll start working at it. I start with a very simple assumption that you can observe with 16 minutes of research on the internet. Search for laughing babies and you will realize that we were all born happy. Okay. Yeah. So we we were born happy in the, you know, when we, when our basic needs are met, when our, you know, when we're fed, safe, loved, and, you know, there is no need for us to be unhappy. Our default setting as humans is happy. That's number one. Number two is... uh, Uh, We become unhappy because of conditioning. We become unhappy because of beliefs, because of expectations, because of societal obligations that move us out of that unhappiness, uh, out of that happiness into a state of unhappiness. Believe it or not, that state of unhappiness is the only uh, uh, exception to the norm. So uh, the reality is happiness simply is the absence of unhappiness. Okay, You look at that little child, the child is happy until a diaper gets wet. When the diaper gets wet, the the child cries, you change the diaper, the child goes back to happiness. In the absence of a reason for a child to be unhappy, the default setting of the child is happy. And your inner child is exactly like that. In the absence of a reason for you to be unhappy, your default state is happy. Now, the reasons for unhappiness, they simply mess up our solution of the happiness equation so happiness is a comparison between events and expectations mm? events of our life mostly should meet our expectations but we often find that not to be true simply because we, we solve the equation wrong what i attempt to do in solve for happy is to say six grand illusions and seven blind spots which are truly the way we perceive and engage with the world, are making us solve the equation wrong. So six grand illusions, one of my favorite and my biggest illusions for a very long time, was the illusion of control. I thought that I can control everything because I'm an executive who's paid to control everything. When you see through the illusion, you realize that through Entropy, through the work of Nassim Talib and black swans, through, uh, you know, understanding butterfly effects, there is zero control. We can only attempt control, but life itself is constantly attempting to, to, go, to get out of control. When you see that, you start to realize that the only two things you can actually control in life are your actions and your attitude. And with that, when you have an excruciating toothache like I did yesterday, you don't complain about life. You don't complain about traffic. You just simply drive uh, as as diligently as you can towards the dentist. It's as simple as that, okay? And wh- while it hurts, it doesn't make me unhappy. I don't turn it into drama. It just hurts, and I keep it at that. So, so that's one of the grand illusions. There are six of those the illusion of thought, the illusion of uh, of self, the illusion of knowledge, the illusion of time, control, and fear. Okay? If you can see the reality of the illusion, I don't even need to teach you any practices. Once you see the reality of the illusion, it goes away. If you do that, your expectations will be set better. Then there are seven blind spots. These are not mistakes in the design of our brain. They're the exact features of the design of our brain, because our brains are a survival machine. They are concerned first and foremost for, foremost, with keeping us alive, right? And so what do they do? They look for everything that is wrong, because what's right doesn't, uh, you know, const- constitute a threat to you. So they're constantly trying to look for whatever is wrong. Your, your, you know, par- your partner could be the sweetest person ever, but comes home from work on Friday uh, feeling a little, uh, uh, you know, stressed doesn't say the right things or doesn't behave the right way and your, you our brains are able to filter the last week or the last 17 years of a relationship and focus on on that one day one one minute or one hour and say he's cheating on me
4: so helpful so helpful <laughs> that brain of ours
3: <laughs> so, uh, yeah and, and so what I actually tell people is fix the six blind uh, the six grand illusions bust the six grand illusions fix the six blind spots. And you will find happiness a lot more often because our life is not that bad anyway. When you do that long enough, then there are what I call the five ultimate truths. People who navigate life with the truth realize that we get dental pain every now and then. We, you know, the, I always use the example of the opposite poles of a magnet attract, and that has never upset anyone. Right when they attract, we never complain about it. We just expect it because it's the truth. Even if our finger is squeezed between them, we don't blame (laughs) life for it. You understand? And so it's six, seven, five. That's the model. Find the you know which of the six grand illusion is your biggest. Which of the seven blind spots is is your biggest? And which truth can you count on? Your truth might be different than mine. And navigate life that way, you will find happiness a lot more often.
2: Well, Mo, I know. I'm speaking for Jill and myself. I know we've. Found more happiness just from being in your presence. So thank you so much for being
4: here with us today.
3: Thank you. Yes,
4: and and to all of our listeners, do what we're going to do. Join the movement at hashtag one billion happy. Hold on,
3: don't don't close yet, because this is the most important topic to talk about. Our yeah. whole world needs a U turn. I know, I oh. know, I know that you know that. I know that everyone listening to us look. At how depression is at an all-time high. Suicide is at an all-time high. Uh, you know, the sales of antidepressants are $18 billion. Huh? One of, an, of every four Americans is taking antidepressants. Now, yeah. th- think about the realities of what we're doing to our environment, what we're doing to each other. Our world needs a U-turn. And I, I tried so hard to tell myself, don't be stupid, you know, it's impossible to fix the world. It's actually really straightforward. I'm asking only for two values to change. I'm asking for people to prioritize their happiness and invest in finding a happier life. And I'm asking for the compassion to make two other people happy. Two more. Okay. If you're generous, make 20 people happy. If you're like you ladies, you're going to make a few hundred thousand happy, hopefully through this podcast. And what I'm trying to say is, it's no longer acceptable to be idle. It's no longer acceptable for any of us to sit in the, uh, and, and watch the way the world is, is shifting today and say policymakers should change or internet companies should change. The only one that really needs to change is me. I need to prioritize my happiness and make others happy. And I definitely think this is the U-turn. I think it's about time because I don't think our world has the sustainability to go much longer with our current behavior as humans, uh, you know, without retaliating a little bit.
4: Thank you. Very, very powerful. I could not agree with you more. Stirring stuff, Mo. Thank you very, very much. And thanks to our our wonderful producer Alicia Haywood for helping us put today together. Go join the
2: movement. Hashtag one billion happy. It will make you better. It will make the world better. And let us know. Connect with us at U-Turns Podcast. Let us know how you're happier, because we want to hear.
0: Live Nation presents Concert Week.